Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2. On Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. Like the folks over at our sister station, WXRT, we are celebrating our friend Lynn Bramer, who passed away yesterday. And obviously, you when someone passes, you start thinking about like the interactions that you have with them. I was going through some text messages yesterday, some DMs, some emails of Len being like, hey, we're having sandwiches. Uh, you want one of the sandwiches? Like just fun stuff like that. And Lynn and I had a fantastic, like hour-long conversation. He was nice enough when House of L was just starting to be, this episode 12, um, just starting out, he wanted to be on the pod. And it was great because it gave me a chance to ask him questions that I've been dying to ask him. There's all sorts of stuff in here, and we do get into life. But where it starts is me talking with him about sound. And specifically, whether there's a difference between a, a, an album on wax and a CD and a cassette and an audio file, an MP3, here's what he told me. You have to remember when uh, the, the, the great CD revolution took over and vinyl records were uh, re-recorded or remastered or stuck on CDs, that they didn't really think through the transition from an audiophile standpoint. And a lot of those first CDs of classic albums are abominations of audio quality, which is why years later so many labels went and said, oh, whoa, 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 this is, this is the remastered CD. This is, <laughs> you know what, we fooled you. We fooled you once, but we're going to fool you again and give you the remastered version of the CD you already bought to replace the vinyl you got. Now, there is no question in any audiophile's mind that the sound of analog recording is uh, richer, uh, deeper somehow. Uh, and if you want to feel emotional about it, there's definitely something more soulful about a vinyl recording, but a well-mastered CD is is really, really close. The interesting thing to me is that when I first listened to music, it was on top 40 radio in the 60s, on car speakers, or on a transistor radio. Mm-hmm. So when you were listening to, you know, in the mid-60s, it might have been uh, a new door single or it was a Motown single, and the quality that you were hearing that was turning you into a lover of this music was by most standards uh, antediluvian. It was ridiculously simple. In fact, famously, I haven't checked this on the Internet in the last two years, and I really should because when I work from memory, that's dangerous. But I always heard that uh, Motown producers would set up car speakers in the studio because they wanted to hear what their recording sounded like in the car or on transistor radio. They didn't want to hear it on studio monitors. That was irrelevant to making something that kids would listen to and buy. How does it sound coming out of the car radio? So you had that kind of really basic, almost tinny sound of early rock and roll, early rhythm and blues, 
And then there was this progression to uh, full albums listened to on the kinds of uh, stereo systems where you'd flick the on switch and it would take, you know, 60, 90 seconds. For to power to, up. To just warm up enough, right? Uh, and then you had, you know, the speakers that would fill up the window in your dorm if you wanted to play music to people on the quad that didn't want to hear your music. And it just got bigger, and audio quality was uh, was a priority. And then in the intervening decades, it seems as though we've slipped all the way back to now where most people have their music on their phones, uh, have MP3s, uh, Best Buy stopped selling CDs. The cars you buy today don't have CD players. Uh, so you're kind of pushed into this retrogression of audio quality where you've gone all the way full circle back to when old guys like me first listened to music uh, in the car uh, on less than excellent sound quality. How much vinyl do you spend in a morning? Uh, I spend uh, very little vinyl. We do have some vinyl in there. There are some record albums that we just were too lazy to replace or have remained out of print or... In some cases, although this isn't as relevant, uh, you know, there are vinyl versions of classic albums that were remastered for CD that sound totally different. For example, in, in the 80s, the drum sound for rock music and for pop music, the drum sound just changed entirely and it became really, really forward. So... If you A and B say ZZ Top, It's Only Love from uh, one of their albums, and you played the intro drums on vinyl, and then you played it on CD, it's a difference between uh, So the original vinyl copy is the only copy you can listen to that sounds like what you bought it for in the first place before it was remastered. But I'm sorry, I got a little off track. Most of what we play is on a database that contains the history of, say, 24,000 songs that we've played over the years. You know, they're not always in the current library, uh, but over the years, if you did a search for our library in a database, boom, 24,000 something shows up. So it's coming out of a hard drive. It's coming out of a computer. And you say, what about the sound quality for that? Radio stations do processing mm -hmm. to juice up the way you and I sound and the way music sounds in various ways, depending on the format, depending on, you know, in the olden days, they used to speed up 45s to like 48 RPMs because they wanted to sound snappier. No, we need this song to sound faster. Well, these days there there's all kind of processing on the sound. So for an audio file to say, well, how can we be playing, you know, music out of a hard drive? No matter how good the uh, the hard drive version is, uh, you can't tell coming through the radio because there's already so much happening to the sound. When was the moment that you knew that you were kind of in love with music? Oh, that's a good question. Well. Uh, interestingly, my father, who loved classical music and Woody Guthrie folk songs, used to sit me down in front of 
a Victrola, the kind of record player where your dad would have to put a nickel on top of the tone arm to make sure the it didn't skip with the old record albums. And he would play me Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. My mom used to tell me this story, too, uh, in the hopes that it would instill in me uh, an appreciation and love for classical music, uh, which it did. But, of course, then his son grew up to become a rock and roll disc jockey. So uh, music was uh, surrounding my ears at a very early age, and I grew up in a household where uh, the the radio station was always turned to WQXR in New York City, which was the uh, classical station there. But at the same time, my father, and I don't know where this came from because his dad was kind of a captain of industry, and my dad loved Woody Guthrie, Cisco Houston, this like Dust Bowl ballads, uh, folk music tradition, and uh, committed a lot of those songs by heart. And uh, we grew up with a box set from Smithsonian Records, I think, in which it was Odetta and uh, Ewan McCall, all these old-school folk singers doing old-timey music. And we not only listened to that, but as we grew up, my brothers and I have two brothers— one plays banjo badly, one plays the mandolin badly, I play the guitar badly. <laughs> we we all learn these songs. So at our family get-togethers, we get together at least once every year. We bring out the instruments where only family can hear us, and we sing these ridiculous old folk songs that uh, we learned when we were growing up with my dad. In fact, my dad's only wish for his funeral was that the brothers get together, and now with the second generation, my son who plays guitar and I have a niece who sings, that we would get together and uh, sing at his funeral with the instruments. So we sang the song that became a little more popular. It's classic um, in uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, the Coen Brothers movie, uh, I'll Fly Away. And we sang it in ragged three-part harmony, and we all cried. When you're making the decision that you're going to follow your dad's wishes to to do this, does it make the funeral itself easier or more difficult? Because now you know that you have to perform versus just being there and celebrating the life of your father. I think that there are so many emotions roiling around when a parent uh, dies that the difficulty or ease of paying your respects in a manner that your parent wants to kind of quells any kind of anticipatory uneasiness that I don't think it made it harder. I think it was something we look forward to. Because I, I always wonder what to do in those situations where I think that sometimes when it comes to funerals that they need to be more celebratory. I, it's like the way that, that you guys did it feels right to me. Yeah, I mean, everybody everybody spoke, but uh, as soon as you said celebratory, I think of uh, the traditional New Orleans mm-hmm. funeral where you you walk in a somber, uh, you stalk to the you walk to the uh, the cemetery, and then once. The burial is over, although in New Orleans, not really a burial. Yeah, because it's above, uh, it's above it's the below ground. Gr- below water. Uh, and, the, and, then it's, and then it's a party. I absolutely believe that it should be a party. 
And if I ever pass away, although Mary Dixon thinks that I will live forever for obvious reasons, I would hope that it would be a celebration. got some more from Lynn Bramer on these score airwaves talking about his love for the Cubs in the wake of their World Series championship and helping us through quarantine. It was Lynn in his own words on the score. Just a few- 